In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As we begin Advent, the Church puts before us in the Gospel of the Mass the figure of John the Baptist. Both today, the second Sunday of Advent, as well as next week, the Gospel passages center around the figure of John the Baptist. In today's Gospel, we read the following. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so the role of John the Baptist is to prepare for the way of Christ. Lord, John the Baptist is called your precursor, the one who runs before you to open up the path, to prepare the people for your coming. And Advent, as we know, is precisely a season of preparation for the coming of Christ in Christmas. During these days and weeks of Advent, we prepare our souls, we prepare our minds, we prepare our hearts, our homes, and our lives for Christ, for a new arrival of Christ. And this leads to a good question. If John the Baptist is preparing the world and us for the coming of Christ, and if Advent is the season of preparation for the coming of Christ, the question is, well, how do we prepare for Christ? What does it mean, Lord, to prepare for your coming into my heart, into my soul, into my life as it is? And that leads to another question, Lord, which is, who are you? What are you coming to do? What is your role? Our preparation for Christ will depend a lot on our understanding of why he's coming. And we know our faith tells us very clearly why he's coming, our Lord is coming to be our Savior and our Redeemer. And so how do we prepare for that? How do we prepare for the coming of a Savior, for the coming of a Redeemer? And I think a key step, perhaps the first step, to prepare for the coming of Christ as Savior, as Redeemer, is to realize that we need one. We won't get anything out of Christ coming into the world unless we realize that we need his coming, that we need his help. It's just like anything else, right? I'll never go to a car, a car salesman unless I realize that I need a new car, unless I want a new car. I'll never go to my dentist, which I go to way infrequently as it is, unless I realize that my teeth need to be worked on. I have some cavity or some problem. Well, it's the same with the coming of Christ, that Unless I realize I need to be saved, I need a Redeemer. 
I need a savior to save me. I need a redeemer to redeem me, to buy me back. Well, I won't be ready for Christ. The coming of Christ will will leave me flat. It won't make an impact on my life. And so this is why the figure of John the Baptist's message is so important. Make straight his paths. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Advent is a time, Lord, in which we need to recognize our sinfulness. Each one of us personally, we need to come to the conviction, I need to be saved from my sinfulness. I need to be saved from my sins. I need to be saved from my disposition to sin. In a certain sense, I need to be saved from my very self insofar as myself is bound up with my sinfulness, which it is. Our sinfulness is not the whole explanation of ourself, but it's part of it. Part of myself is inclined to sin, rejects God. Archbishop Chaput, the Archbishop of Philadelphia, wrote a book in which he explains the basics of the faith. It's kind of like a short catechism in which he in which he goes through the different basic aspects of our faith. And in the very first chapter, he asks this question, why? Why believe in Christ? What's the point? What's the point of having faith at all? What does it do for us? And he uses an image there to explain it, which I think is helpful. He says, it's kind of like humanity in sin is kind of like someone who has fallen off of a raft in a river that's going through rapids. If you've ever been whitewater rafting, perhaps this has happened to you, right? And so we can imagine that we've fallen off of this raft and it's and it's a dangerous situation. There are big rocks. There are very fast rapids. We could we could smash into the one, one of the rocks and pass out and therefore drown. We could get stuck in, in, in a kind of eddy and get our foot stuck and be pulled under and drown there again. There's a waterfall coming, which is which which would be the very the very last thing that we'd want to go over because there's sharp rocks at the bottom and sticks and we might get impaled and bleed to death and die. And so we're in the situation in sinfulness, in sin, in which if nothing happens, we're going to perish. Where we're heading towards we're heading towards disaster. And what happens, what we believe in our faith is in this picture, Jesus has showed up on the side of the river. He showed up on the bank. And he stretches out his hand to us and says, let me save you. Let me pull you out. Right? Come over here. I can help you. I'm here to get you out of this danger, to get you out of the situation. And to have faith is to realize our danger and then to make an effort to let Jesus save us. To swim over to him, to make an effort to get close enough to him to, to, to reach his hand and, and with our help, let him pull us out of the river onto the bank. It's to cooperate with his saving us from this perilous and deathly danger of de- uh, of of sin that we're in to have faith to have living faith to practice our faith to use the sacraments to try to grow in faith hope and charity try to grow in other virtues to really try to be a disciple of Christ 
is precisely to let Jesus save us, to let him pull us from sin into the new life of grace. To pull us out of this terrible situation of sin into the new life of children of God. Sanctity. But the first essential uh, element here, the first thing we need to do, is to realize that we're in danger. right? To realize that we need him to save us. And so faith is always a call to conversion. And conversion always has two sides. We need to turn away from sin, away from the world, and towards God. We need to turn away from ourselves, away from our self-centeredness, and towards God and others. And the first side, the first dimension, is essential. We can't grasp his hand if we don't know we're in danger. We won't make our way over to the bank if we don't realize that we are going to drown if we don't. And that's not to be taken for granted. Unfortunately, at times, Lord, and perhaps often, Lord, in my life, in the life of others, we don't realize the danger that we're in. Pius XII said in 1946, perhaps the greatest sin in the world today is that men have begun to lose the sense of sin. St. John Paul II really liked to quote that. He would quote it a lot. He would say, the greatest sin of our time is the loss of the sense of sin. And so it's like we're in this river and we're heading towards the same dangers, but we have a wetsuit on and and so far so good, right? We're having fun. We're enjoying the rapids. We think we'll survive the waterfall for some reason. Maybe even we have we have earphones on, which are sound blocking and waterproof. And so some good music is playing. And so we can't hear Christ yelling to us, come over here, you're in danger, let me save you, let me help you, believe in me, trust in me, change your life. You're going to die, you're going to drown. And this can happen, right? We don't, we don't look at our true situation because we're distracted, because we're uh, surrounded by comforts in life, or because other worries occupy our minds, worries that aren't that important in God's in God's vision, in God's sight. So many things can distract us or keep us from realizing the sense of sin. Christ is our Savior and our Redeemer. To be redeemed is to be bought back. It's to be ransomed. This means, which is true, it means that sin is, is a certain form of bondage. Sin is a bondage to evil. A bondage, in a certain sense, to the devil. It's a form of slavery. Jesus himself says this in the Gospel of John. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying, You will be made free? And so Jesus tells them, right, the truth will make you free. And the Hebrews say, what are you talking about? We're, we're already free. We're already sons of Abraham, children of Abraham. We, we've never been enslaved. And Jesus answers them, truly, truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. Everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. This is another way of thinking about 
the transformation that Christ wants to bring about in us. We move from slavery to sonship. We move from slave to the devil, slave to sin, to child of God, son or daughter of God our Father. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth, Lord, about you, and also the truth, Lord, about ourselves in relation to you. And part of the truth that we have to look at, we have to confront, we have to deal with, part of the truth about ourselves and our relationship to him involves sin. I am a sinner and he is my savior. I am a slave to sin and he is my redeemer. He comes to pay my ransom to free me. So Lord, help us to hear this message of the church, this message of John the Baptist, to make straight your paths, to prepare the way, to make straight your paths. And your paths, Lord, your way on earth is first of all in souls, in hearts, in minds. The path that you want to walk, Lord, that concerns me the most is the path of my own soul, my own heart, my own mind. That you want my life to be a path which you can walk on to love others, to serve others, to understand and heal and forgive others through me, through my Christian life, through my charity, through my connection with you. But in order, Lord, to have you walk on that path, I have to make it straight. I have to, I have to remove the obstacles, the obstacles that get in the way of your walking directly to others in my life and your walking directly to help me. And what's the biggest obstacle between us and our Lord? What's the biggest, what's the biggest obstacle between us and his walking in our life? Well, it's sin. It's, it's the opposite attitude of Christ. Christ says, I always do what pleases him. Talking about his father, God. I always do what pleases God. And sin is precisely to do the opposite of what pleases God, what offends God and pleases in our, uh, pleases ourself in a disordered way. And so, Lord, help me to see how can I and how do I need to straighten out my path, the path of my heart, my soul, my mind, my life, so you can walk in it more freely, so you can walk in it uh, with with a quicker pace, so that you can walk in my life to do good to all the people you want to reach through me. In the language of the church's liturgy, Advent is called a penitential season. There are only two penitential seasons in the church. One is Lent, those 40 days before Easter. And the other is Advent, this time of preparation before Christmas. And so you might notice that that the liturgical color purple is used both, both for Lent, which is this major penitential season, and for Advent, which is the minor penitential season. And so in the wisdom of the church for many centuries, we have this practice of a time of penance, a time of reckoning with sin, a time of looking for a deeper conversion, making up for sins in order to prepare to celebrate the mysteries of our faith. That long period before the Paschal mystery of Holy Cross, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, that long period of penitential preparation, which is Lent. But then also this shorter period, which is also a time of penance. John the Baptist preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And this shorter time is precisely what we want to take advantage of now, these days, and also in our prayer, Advent. And the danger, I think, in our culture with respect to Advent is that nowadays, right, we treat everything from like uh, Halloween through January 3rd as one long continuous holiday season, right? And so we're already drinking eggnog and we're already eating Christmas cookies. I kind of had to because I visited my mom and she had some Christmas cookies uh, ready for me. And we're already having Christmas parties. And so we kind of like um, anticipate Christmas way ahead of time. I don't even know if it's called the holiday season anymore, but it's probably just called like winter fest or, or whatever by people trying to remove all vestiges of Christianity from from common parlance. But that is a danger for us, right? That we that we um, we miss out on this important dimension of of Advent, which is recognizing our sinfulness, recognizing that we need a Savior, telling God we're sorry, making up for our sins in some way. And so it's a wonderful opportunity. It's a great opportunity, Lord, to examine my conscience a little bit more deeply. It's a time for penance. It's it's a time for conversion. And so therefore, it's a wonderful time for a good confession followed by a change in life. And in order to make a good confession, it's, it's very important that we try to examine our conscience, try to see with God's help, with your help, Lord, with the help of the Holy Spirit, try to see where I need to straighten the paths. Specifically, me, now, in this situation, what do I need to repent for? And so there's different ways of doing this. We can look at the Ten Commandments, for instance, and we can ask ourselves, well, which one am I breaking or which one am I bending? Which one have I ignored of those Ten Commandments? We can look at virtues. We can look at the cardinal or theological virtues and ask ourselves, which one can I improve in or which one have I neglected? We can look at faith, hope, and charity. Do I really have faith? Do I really believe all of God's revelation? Do I really believe the teaching of the church? Do I really trust that God is at work in my life? Lord, am I lacking hope? This is a time where hope is at a premium because so many people are experiencing difficulties and so many people are worried about any sort of calamity that their imagination can can think up. And there are difficulties and, and there are reasons to worry that, that things might uh, get worse in certain areas of the world or, or in this country here in the United States. Um, but But we have to live with hope as Christians to expect good things from God, to expect that he's going to help us live in the way that he wants to live, no matter what happens outside of us. Lord, have I lacked hope during these times? Lord, do I lack charity? Do I need to forgive someone? Do I need to let something go? Lord, remind me that the way I've offended you is much greater than, than the way anyone can ever offend me because you are God. You are all good. You're worthy of all love. And I, by contrast, am a sinner. And so even if I have suffered injustice, which can happen, still, you you show us how to respond to that. It's called mercy. It's called forgiveness. And this is the way you react to 
offense, Lord. This is the way you react to ingratitude. This is the way you react to injustice, with mercy, with forgiveness. Maybe I need to do that. Maybe I need to look at that. Lord, do I give in to rash judgment? Do I pigeonhole people who don't agree with me? Do I pray for people who are on the other side of the culture or, or political or religious aisle? Do I lack charity, Lord? We could look at the cardinal virtues. Prudence, temperance, justice, fortitude. Am I fair? Do I put in a, a fair day's work? Do I pay all my debts? Am I prudent? Do I have goals in life and think about what I want to achieve this week, today, this month, and then prudently make a plan for achieving those goals? Do I have fortitude? Or do I complain too much about every little bad thing that happens to me? These are all great ways of of discovering, uncovering with God's help, our sinfulness and and the opportunity to, to grow in virtue, the opportunity to grow and the ability to please God with with our lives and to serve others with our lives. We could also look at sins, right? We look at commandments, we look at we look at virtues, and we can also just directly look at sinfulness. The tradition of the church talks about the seven deadly sins. I had a college professor who was a wonderful lecturer, and she came up with an acronym for the seven deadly sins. She called it PZAGL. P-E-A-S-A-G-L. Pizagle. Pride, envy, anger, sloth, avarice, gluttony, lust. Pride, envy, anger, sloth, avarice, gluttony, lust. Right? These are the seven deadly sins heading right towards that waterfall if we, if we don't fight against them, if we don't break our bondage to them. G.K. Chesterton famously said, Certain new theologians dispute original sin, which is the only part of Christian theology which can really be proved. Right? What does he mean by proved? He means, well, that we can see it with our eyes. It's empirical. And so he's basically saying, well, you know, original sin is the only doctrine that we don't need faith to believe, right? Because you just look at the world and you see how much evil there is, you see how much confusion there is, you see how much unnecessary suffering there is and you realize something is wrong something bad happened to humanity at some point that threw everything off right? original sin for Jesson is kind of obvious but at the same time we realize as we consider before you know evil is easy to see in the world it's easy to see in others but at times it's hard to see in ourselves because sin blinds us and we have a great ability at incredible talent at rationalizing our sin, denying our sinfulness, at pushing the blame off somewhere else, justifying ourselves. It's like being in that river and thinking, oh, it's just a game. It's just fun. It's nothing bad is happening here. We read in the prophet Isaiah, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is that loss of the sense of sin. And we see it, we see it happening so much in basic, (laughs) basic moral laws, basic moral rules, basic concepts about 
the difference between man and woman, the morality of marriage, the family, the respect for life, the lack of respect for life in its earliest stages in the womb, in its latest and most vulnerable stages at the end of life. We see that there's that there's whole sectors of people and laws being made based on error, ignorance, a loss of the sense of sin. Woe to those who call good evil and evil good, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so that's easy to see, right, in, in unjust laws, and it's easy to see in the breakdown of the family, and it's easy to see in in um, gender confusion, and it's easy to see in sexual promiscuity. But it's not so easy to see at times in my own heart, in my own lack of generosity towards others, in my own in my own laziness, in my own forms of of sensuality and intemperance and selfishness. And that's where we want to see it because it's not it's not just the world that as a whole. It's not just the world as a whole that's going down this river that needs to reach out its hand to Christ. It's each one of us one by one. And if I reach out my hand to Christ, well then I pull the Lord with me. I pull the world with me to uh, to reach out its hand. Right? The more of us who do this individually, who turn our backs on sinfulness, who admit that we're in the wrong, who call good, good, and evil, evil, and not vice versa, and see and see the lack of goodness in us and turn to Jesus for help, well, the more that we help other people do it, right? the more we kind of tilt the world um, and, and the direction of the world in his direction towards the bank that Christ is on and away from, away from destruction. Blessed are the pure of heart, Jesus says, for they shall see God. And so the opposite of this blindness of sin, this denial this rationalization is purity of heart. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Which means chastity, yes, but it, but it also means um, loving what's lovable, right? Purity of heart. Loving what we should love and rejecting what we should reject. Purity of heart. And this is a great way to pray, Lord. At times I need to come into your presence and just open my heart to you and let you see what's there to let you look me in the eye and to look back into your gaze and what causes me to lower my gaze what causes me not to be able to sustain my look at at Christ will be what I need to change will be what I need to straighten will be what I need to repent for will be what I need to say I'm sorry for to let him save to let him heal to let him to let him forgive and this is all so positive, right? The life, the life that our Lord wants us to lead if we let him pull us out of this situation of sin, if we let him pull us out of these rapids of sin. The life on the bank with our Lord is so much better. He calls it the fullness of life. And he tells us that, that our joy will be full and that his joy will be in us if we convert, if we, if we help him save us if we're willing participants in our salvation we have to do our part saint augustine says this so clearly he says god who made you without you will not save you without you it's a very deep saying you and i had absolutely no part in our creation when god created our soul 
and infused it into, into uh, the embryo that we were when we were first conceived. We weren't there, right, <laughs> to have any say in it. He did it totally without our consent, without our freedom. But once we're made, once we're free, he won't make us happy without, without our consent. He won't make us, he won't make us saved, safe, healthy, spiritually happy in heaven without our effort, without our input. God who created you without you will not save you without you. We have to do our part. We have to realize that we need him as our savior and our redeemer. We go to Our Lady, our beautiful Mother Mary. She is so much in our hearts and in our prayer during this Advent time. We consider especially those months in which she carried the unborn Jesus, the unborn Son of God in her womb, how close they were. Her heart pumped blood into his body in her womb. Her body gave nourishment into his body in her womb. Right? He was totally dependent on her biologically for life during that time. And so we want to learn this lesson. We too, we want to be totally dependent on him. We want to realize that swimming down this river alone is not the answer. We need a savior. We need a redeemer. We need a Lord. Mary, lead us to Jesus. Lead us to Jesus in your womb this Advent. Lead us to Jesus in the crash when Christmas comes. Help us to realize as many times as we need to, as many times as our Lord wants us to realize it, every day, constantly, that we need Him. We need to be saved. We need to be redeemed. We need to be shown the way. Mother of the Word incarnate, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.